No, like, you know somebody's ugly, like freaking Lil Wayne. He's hella ugly, you know? guest with me today we'll get to know a little bit um in just a second but i just want to follow up a little bit with you guys on episode two i hope everybody kind of like you know got some got some insight from what we were talking about it was a pretty heated conversation not in a bad way but there's a lot of emotions and a lot of stress fear possibly perhaps for some of, for for my guests um, and also for myself, there's a lot of people that are going to be affected by this potential um, DACA, the rescinding of DACA or whatever it's called. So, yeah, it was it was definitely intense for for me and for my guests all around. Before we start, actually, um, I'm going to introduce my guest right here. Uh, his name is Jake Nunez. Actually, I'll let you kind of like. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, like, where'd you go to school? What are you doing now? Whatever you want us to know about yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Jacob. Uh, last name Nunez. Um, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. That's good. Uh, I went to San Diego State. Graduated recently, uh, fall 2016, with a Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science. And I currently live back in L.A. And I am an administrator for a Junior College's Scholarship Foundation. Dang, that's what's up. Putting junior colleges out there on the map. Um, doing my best, doing my best. <laughs> for sure, man. So what people probably don't know is that uh, Jake is one of my fraternity brothers. We both mm-hmm. led Sigma and the Beta, International mm-hmm. Community Incorporated. I pledged yes. in fall 11. When did you pledge? Fool, you know this. Fall 2013. I know I know this, but I needed to, you know, let my people know. Gosh, man. Uh, so, yeah. So, we, we pledged quite a few years, uh, just a couple years apart, but we're still mad tight. That's what I love about our organization. No matter where you go or who you are, you're bound to meet somebody that you click with. Luckily, Jake and I, you know, we click off of Boba, yeah. smack talking about other people and ourselves. And, you know, just, you know, that kind of brotherhood that we got about each other. Actually, before we start, something that just popped into my, I need to have some closure on this freaking event that happened in my life. What was it? What was Labor it? Day. What was that, like two weeks ago? Yes, it was. A little over two yeah. weeks ago. I don't, did I tell you about what happened to me on Labor Day? Nah, you did not. What happened? Oh my goodness, dude. I have, this has never, ever happened to me in my life, actually. Did someone in Utah call you a racial slayer by any chance? No, that's happened to me already. Um, okay. No, so I was driving, minding my own business, on my freaking way to go see my niece at uh-huh. her, uh, what is it? She had some type of Latino dance, folklore, folklore dance, folklorico mm-hmm. to go do. I think it was like Paraguay or Panama or something like that. 
Point is, uh-huh. I had a performance. I wasn't able to go to the first one because I, was, I think I was at work or I was doing something. But I was on my way to the second one. I was on time. I was coming back from my friend's first baby, baby's first year party or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was cool. So I was minding my own business, all right? Driving mm-hmm. peacefully, taking the back roads because I wasn't, you know, in any kind of rush. And I look down. This is all my fault, you guys. My fault. It was not anybody else's. I looked down at my phone. And that instant, like that, just like as quick as I snap, I hit what I thought was a speed bump. And I was like, dang, that was a random bump right there in the road. And I looked back because only one side of my car moved. I freaking looked back and it was a dog. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, I didn't tell you. No. I can't believe I didn't tell you. No, you did not tell me. That's crazy. But, oh, my goodness. Yo, I was tripping because it wasn't even a big dog. It was a little dog. So, I'm not even going to lie. Like, the natural, like, bad person that we all have inside of us was like, yo, should I just keep going like nothing ever happened? But I was like, heck no, I can't do that. So like in like 0.2 seconds, I stop my car, turn around, I go over there and I am hyperventilating. I didn't know what to do. So I go over there, freaking look at the dog. It's like neck was like twisted one type of way. And I was like, this isn't normal. Obviously it just got hit by a freaking four door car, you know? So I pick it up, you know, take it into my car. I'm tripping. I take it to the to the animal hospital, whatever, whatever. They can't help me. I take it to another one. They can't help me. This other one was closed. So then I took it to PetSmart. They have a veterinarian there. They were able to take him in. And luckily, the lady that was there was able to help me. And she's like, you know what? It's in bad condition. He's going to live. He's going to survive. But I'm just going to take him for you at no charge. It's going to be under my personal um, account. So she basically uh-huh. adopted this dog for me. Oh, shit. What the fuck, dude? That's good Samaritan right there. 100%, man. I don't know. I was legit on the verge of freaking crying. I was over here like, yo, I caused this because I was looking down on my phone. So please, like, followers, listeners of this podcast, don't look at your phone <laughs> in the neighborhood. You could come across a freaking dog. I felt kind of bad because it wasn't even microchips, so the owners don't even know what the heck happened to this dog. But anyway, I needed some closure. I needed to talk about it, put it out there, because I've kind of been holding this on to myself. Every time I drive, I'm like looking five times in every intersection. I'm like, is there any kind of dogs or cats? Because everybody out here in Utah has a freaking cat or a dog or a stray cat that walks around somewhere that they all share within the neighborhood. Anyhow, so um, so let's move into what I want to kind of talk about. I was reading this really weird article on Facebook about a Colorado um, police search for a mad pooper seen defecating in front of kids. I saw that on the, I saw that too. Oh shoot. You saw that? I thought I was like one of the only people that saw that. Yo, isn't that freaking crazy? Like I kind of understand why somebody, like we had the, the clowns like what, like a year ago around this time of the year. I kind of understand why they want to do that, you know, dress up as something else, go scare people. I don't really know what they do. But pooping in broad daylight, that's what it said right here. 
is that they were pooping at broad daylight in front of people's houses. Like, I don't know. What did you think when you were reading this? Um, I remember seeing it's just this one chick uh, that she's doing it. Um, yeah, I remember so someone in the comment section that said, like, this kept happening in their neighborhood in Vegas. Oh, it happened in Vegas, yeah. too. Yeah, and then uh, that person was like, "Maybe it's this, it's the it's it's a it was a woman who was doing it in Vegas," and that um, what happened was that someone found out and she they confronted the woman and the woman was so embarrassed she moved. So maybe it's the same chick. <laughs> <laughs> She's on the run, pooping all over the country, just in the the Rocky Mountains region just going around next thing you know she's gonna be in your town bro oh hell no she is not welcome here dang dude it said that they came screaming like you're not going to believe this day so basically what it says here is is that it says there's a lady taking a poop and so i come outside and i'm like oh dear goodness i was like are you serious are you really going to take a poop right in front of my kids she's like yeah sorry so she's well aware of what she's doing she's even interacted with some of these people Mm mm-hmm I don't know, man. I don't know, honestly, what the heck I would do if I just noticed some lady with her bare ass in front of my house, in front of my, like, lawn, squatting and taking a poop. Anyway, that that's, like, something to, you know, think about a little bit. Uh, when we return, we're just going to take a small little break, and we will talk a little bit about uh, Latino and Hispanic Heritage Month. So when we return in just a moment, it's yeah. a plot twist. Plot twist is back in full effect. So we're going to talk a little bit about... So, Jake, you're actually my first um, guest um, Mm -hmm. on... It it is Latino Hispanic Heritage Month. I kind of like nationwide. Everyone calls it Hispanic Heritage Month. I identify personally more as Latino just because of the things I've read and some research that I've done on both of the names. What can you actually tell us about the difference between these two? What is Hispanic and what is Latino to you? Um, So the terms Hispanic and Latino are do have differences. Originally, the term Hispanic was used by the U.S. government right. to describe people who are what is now considered Hispanic and Latino. But it derives from Hispanic, Hispania, Spain, you know, that whole connection and stuff like that. So Hispanic more so is for, I would say, is used for people of European blood whose family does come from Spain and Portugal and the Iberian Peninsula and as well as people who have blood from France and Germany as well who that identify as Latino or uh-huh. as Latin American, I guess. So Iberian uh, Peninsula, what is that? Is that like Portugal? Yeah, it's Portugal and Spain combined. So that whole peninsula, is like it's called the Iberian Peninsula. Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. So... Um, Whereas Latino, I would say, is definitely a term more used for people of indigenous blood, as well as um, you get it. Or I mean, Afro Latino would it's te- uh, is put in Latino as well. So yeah, that's cool. So, I would argue. So for me personally, because of the fact that most of my um, heritage, for sure, on my mom's side is more European and Iberian, as well as for a good portion on my dad's side, I would say is uh, most of my family is Hispanic versus Latino. So, yeah. Dang, dude, that's intense. Thanks for shedding some light on that. But for, as for what I've been reading, I saw this Venn diagram, and I have it pulled up. 
it says um, it has like Hispanics on. You know what a Venn diagram is? That's the one with the two circles, right? And in the middle, it connects, and you you know. Mm-hmm. So it says on one side it says Hispanics, and on the other side it says Latinos, and then in the middle um, it has what can be considered as both. Oh, so yeah. it says Hispanics, and under that one, and in that circle, it says Spaniards. In the middle of, um, and then on the other side, it said Latinos. It says Brazilians, Guyanese, Surinamese, um, Guyana, and Suriname. I don't know how you pronounce that one. Those are both in. Those are all in South America. So those are mainly considered Latino, apparently under this thing. I don't know who wrote that. And then Mexican, Argentine, Argentinians, and Cubans are in the middle. Obviously, there's a lot more in the um, spectrum of Latinos. Um, and Latinx folk, but I personally feel like I'm more Latino just because I've never really identified with any type of European ancestry in my life. I know there's obviously something down in there. They say that Latinos are are la raza cosmica, we're the cosmic race. We have, you know, a little bit of mix of everything. We got the European, we got the African, we got the Asian, we got the indigenous. We got a lot of different things going on in there. But it's always been kind of hard for me to identify personally as one of the other until as of recently, where I just consider myself Latino or Chicano because I'm Mexican-American. Yeah, no, I feel you. And and that's the thing. It's really hard to kind of categorize all that stuff, especially because Latin America itself is racially everything. It really is everything. You got um, Caucasian people, you know, or people from Europe. You got people from Africa. You got people from not just Asia, but uh, Southeast Asia, South Asia, um, you know, North America who come down. You got people from everywhere just in one giant uh, geographical area all from Mexico all the way down to the bottom tips of Chile and Argentina so it's just really difficult to uh, I would say it is yeah it's just a really complex thing <laughs> yeah it's freaking way hard to put a title or a specific like grouping on on us I think I remember I went yeah, to Peru once um, that was like a blessing of God to be able to go to Peru and go visit there and I feel like that's the place where I noticed the most like indigenous features in people like you could definitely it was like super prominent and it was probably one of the most diverse um countries that i visited yeah i think i could say that i feel like it was super diverse because i saw black peruvians i saw asian peruvians i saw indigenous peruvians i saw it all it was dope and um and I think it's it's so sick to be able to be part of, you know, a culture that that holds so many different freaking backgrounds and like you can't you can't contain us. That's what I think. But talk to me. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. What do you have to say? No, and that's the cool thing because just over time, you know, a lot of people have immigrated. Like Mexico has a huge Chinese population. Oh yeah. Um Brazil has Brazil has a large uh, Japanese population. Um Argent uh Argentina, I totally blanked out, has a large German population. And fun fact, a lot of, or not so fun fact, but a lot of people who fled Nazi Germany went to Argentina for whatever reason. And that goes for both sides, former Nazis, as well as people escaping the Nazis migrated to Argentina. Yeah, one of my really good friends is actually um, Argentino, and his family has a lot of bloodlines to Germany, I think he said. 
and mm-hmm. other places out there. And he actually looks like he could be white. And I saw pictures of his parents. Yo, super European. And I was I was tripping out. Yeah, like a lot of these people do have blonde hair and blue eyes. Like I know in my um I have uh, some family members as well. They're blonde hair, light brown hair, hazel eyes. Like they look white, but they speak fluent Spanish and Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You you never know who you're coming across. You never know actually who actually speaks Spanish. I used to work at I used to work at the Gap. Um, at this one really big bougie mall in California, and this lady came up here, and she was, uh, she was very you know, primp and proper and everything. Not saying that our people can't be like that, but she was like very like you know upscale and bougie looking, and she was holding her her little designer purse all like, you know, with her hand out and stuff. And she came up to me and she started speaking to me in English, but with a really really thick accent. And she looked super white. She had really blonde hair, just like all the other white ladies that came up in there. And I was like, hold up. Where the heck is she from? She sounds like she's Latina, but she doesn't quite look like it. Come to find out, she's from uh, Mexico City. And she was just here visiting her family. And she was, like, you know, very, very European looking. So that that's yeah. interesting. But... I wanted to talk to you about, like, what is your take on Columbus Day versus Indigenous Peoples Day? What, what does that mean to you? Um, I mean, growing up, Columbus Day just meant a day off from school. Really, though, <laughs> really. Like, that's what I look yeah, like as, yeah. too. So I used to never really care about it other than the fact that it was a holiday. But in hindsight, you know, growing up, going to college, or not just going to college, going to high school in LAUSD, um... For those who don't know, the Los Angeles Unified School District, the second biggest school district in the whole country. And um, going to college and learning about stuff, I just really learned that Christopher Columbus is a fuckboy. Like, he's just a big pile of shit. For lack of a better word, he was just some bum just trying to hustle people. And he hustled the the Iberian royalty into funding him to get ships and he did and he accidentally stumbled upon the Tainos and he fucking obliterated them real talk he really did that's that's just Christopher Columbus it's a fact you you look in history he was a vile man there's no way I mean given there's tons of vile men in history who are celebrated you know Cecil Rhodes like the from Britain who the Rhodes Scholarship you know to Oxford and stuff is named after him killed over 10 million uh, 10 million Africans during the imperialist era and stuff like that and you know Christopher Columbus is the same thing but with indigenous Americans so you said killed over 10 million 10 million what he he is directly and indirectly responsible for the death of over 10 10 million Africans and then this guy is one of the most prestigious scholarships in the whole world is named after this guy. So, I mean, imagine a scholarship being named after Hitler. Put it that way. Oh, yeah. And Hitler, I think, only killed only. Not even. I'm not trying to minimize what he did. But in comparison, he killed six million, I believe. About six million. And this guy killed almost twice as many as what he did. And there's a scholarship named after him. Yeah. And... I mean, my theory behind it is more so because, one, he's someone who's from the West, the West being the United States, um, Britain, France, uh, now Germany, or 
Belgium and stuff like that, you know, Western uh, political powers. And one from that, not only, and then two, um, is that it was 10 million Africans and not 10, 10 million people who would be normally considered white. Wait, can you dig in, dig deeper on that? What do you mean by that? Considered as in the deaths of 10 million Africans is still very bad. But the reason it doesn't get recognition and people don't make a um, an uproar about it is because Cecil Rhodes is a dude who's from the West, the political West. He's from the United Kingdom who killed 10 million Africans. And because of racist institutions and just overall prejudice and Western society and stuff like that, that's not going to get recognition versus Hitler who killed 10, 10, or 6 million white people. If you get what I mean. Yeah, it's just sick how, like, people of color's death isn't as valid as a, as a white person's death, you know? And it just makes me so, so upset. Like, and anything that has to do with people of color is always brushed under the rug. Or if it's not brushed under the rug, it's, like, magnified into something that it's not, you know? It's a footnote. It's a what? It's a footnote. Yeah, exactly. It's a footnote. And our lives are never supposed to be footnotes. If anything, they should be, you know, equal or more because, you know, I don't know. That's something that that's super deep to me sometimes. And I don't even know exactly how to express myself about it. Mm-hmm. But it's upsetting. No, I mean, it's definitely. Huh? It, it, it's a valid feeling because it's true. Because let's say like. Christopher Columbus and indigenous peoples day, dude, the amount of people that Christopher Com- Columbus and other white, um, Iberian leaders, the amount of death that they caused over the course of colonization in Latin America, more, it's, it's millions, dude, millions, but they still get celebrated for discovering a new world. All the, um, all the people in the 1800s in the United States, the manifest destiny bullshit, they use God as an excuse to rape and pillage native Americans. They get celebrated, but they shouldn't be. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and it, it sucks that they that they use their quote unquote discovery as you know something to. Well, capitalism is turning it into something else. There's like Columbus Day sales, and everyone looks forward to these days because we've been programmed to believe that it's something good. You know. Yeah. We've been programmed through our false textbooks we've been programmed through you know uh false advertisements i don't know just everything that that we've been educated at not everything but a a huge majority of things that we've been educated as in this um in school systems nationwide have made us you know believe that the eurocentric uh way of life is okay and that's acceptable and that's the only way you know but isn't it like true that in la they're making Columbus Day, like, they're going away with Columbus Day and they're going more towards Indigenous Peoples Day. Is that something that, that's accurate? Am I right for that or no? Yes, you are. As far as I know, you are correct because I read it in multiple sources that we are switching from uh, Columbus to Indigenous. As of when? As of this year or what? Yeah, it was recent, like a couple weeks ago. Okay, for sure, for sure. And talk to talk to us a little bit. So I remember one time, yo, so everybody knows Jake and I, we freaking love Boba. Like that was our 
connecting point this summer when I was in LA. Yo, we would hit up the boba spot whenever we could. And and so we were having a pretty deep conversation one time, I believe. Um, and it was getting to be about, you know, race and um, self-identifying as something. And you and I were both Mexican-Americans. We're both Chicanos um, living, you know, a totally. We both live totally different lives. You know, we although we we uh, we come from Mexican parents, we live a life that's been totally different. You identify as a Chicano, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what it's been like for you to be a Chicano outside of the stereotype. And to me, the stereotype of a Chicano is, you know, more so. Uh, you know, the, the guys that wear like the Dickies and the guys that like listen to the lowrider oldies. These are like the stereotypes that we've been put in, into our heads, you know, ingrained into our heads by yeah. society and by the things that we see in TV. You know, they they, they hang out with, with their with their homies and all this, that and the third. And they they're like low key involved with gangs and stuff or somebody in their family. You know, all that stuff that's been painted into our head about what a Chicano or a Mexican-American is. But you live a totally different life. Like, when I met you, I mean, I knew that you were Latino of some sort, or at least mixed, um, because, I mean, I met you at a Brotherhood event in San Diego a few years back, I believe in 2015. Yeah, it was right when you just came back from North Carolina. (laughs) From the South. Uh, Yeah, so... I met you and I mean you had like the whole like like rocker dude vibe. You had like some type of band shirt on, the vans and you were like in I don't know, some something else. I don't know. Can't remember that detail. But I was like, who's this dude? Like he definitely doesn't look like all the other bros. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what's what's your experience been? And I remember you were telling me a little bit about it was kinda hard to identify as Mexican or Mexican American. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, so I am Mexican American. I'm, I guess, generation and a half. My dad was born in Mexico and my mom was born here, but she was born in El Centro, which is a border town. So by many means, it's still very much Mexico itself. Um, but I grew up, I went to, I had a very weird upbringing in that, not weird. It's very, uh, kind of like my parents achieved the American dream, so I didn't really have to struggle as much as them. So I was blessed. I was able to go to a private school, you know, from first to fourth grade. I was like one of the only Mexicans there. <laughs> and then like real? my sister and like maybe eight other kids in a school of about a 150, 160. That was K through 12. So um, there was very few of us total. And um, so a lot of my classmates were white. Um, you know, very a lot of were affluent. A lot lived in um, the Porter Ranch, Northridge, Granada Hills area of the San Fernando Valley, which is you know higher income compared to other parts. And so, um, you know, a lot of things were I guess you know a little bougie and stuff like that. So growing up, um, I was around a lot of people like that. And then I went when I went to LAUSD, the the elementary school I went to in fifth grade was mostly white as well. I mean, there was more people of color, but it was still mostly white. Most of my friends that I hung out with were listening to like Blink-182 and Green Day and stuff. And then even growing up, like in the household, um, I I didn't listen to a lot of Spanish music or music in Spanish. 
um, I guess at most was Selena and um, mm-hmm. Gente from what my mom would listen to or Luis Miguel okay, and stuff like that. Necessary ones to, to know? Hmm? I said yeah, the, the, most, the most necessary ones to know. That's who my parents were listening or my mom was listening to. But for the most part, my mom also listened to a lot of 80s pop, like Tears for Fears and Pat Benatar and Madonna and Cher. Dude, oh my God. I'm so, I, I listen to Cher so much. <laughs> <laughs> she has a very distinct voice she has a very distinct, a very distinct voice and a distinct face let me tell you yes but uh and then and then on the flip side my dad he used to listen to a lot of like new wave like um a new wave in or early indie like alternative rock like he really fucks with u2 heavy like that's one of his favorite bands depeche mode um the morrissey uh the, the morrissey uh the smiths and morrissey um Happy Mondays, who not a lot of people know about, actually. Um, I don't know about them. They're like a kind of like an electronic alternative band. Um, they're from the, uh, England. And then um, like Jane's Addiction and stuff like that. And that's what I grew up on. Like, I didn't grow up on Spanish music like Cumbia and uh, once it became popular, reggaeton. Like, all my friends used to make fun of me because that's what they were listening to in rap. And I wasn't listening to that. Man. And I talked very, I talked like, I have like a Valley Boy accent, I guess, which my dad also does because he grew up here. Uh, but he grew up when it was a lot more white. <laughs> yeah, but he also has like a, like a, kind of like a, like this like Latino badass type of vibe and way of speaking too. Like when I was talking to him um, that one time we had that kickback at your place. But mm-hmm. anyway, continue. Um... But yeah, dude, it was just very, it was very unconventional. And then on my own, like music wise, I really got into um, the Gorillas. I fucking love the Gorillas. Oh, heck um, yeah, dude. That album, uh, they're self-titled when I was five or six years old. Cause so my dumb ass, I guess one day before school, my parents had MTV on and they played the video for their song, Clint Eastwood. And I thought it was a cartoon. So I thought as a kid, cartoons, all cartoons are, you know, for kids. Right. My dumb ass. <laughs> So, um, so I convinced my grandma one time when we were at Target, uh, if she could buy me the CD and it had the uh, parental advisory sticker on it, but I guess they didn't really care. Uh, the cashier didn't care. So she, she, she didn't ask my grandma any questions and she just let it go. And so as soon as we got back to the apartment, I remember going straight to the CD player and popping that shit in and I was playing it. Then maybe like maybe 10, 15 minutes later, my dad pops in and he's like, what is that playing? So he goes to the C- he goes to the thing. I'm like, Dad, look, I got the CD today. And <laughs> you're like five to six like, years old, right? Yeah, I'm like five or six years old. I I distinctly remember this, like really, really remember this. And um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, oh, like mom, what the fuck. <laughs> and that was like one of my first CDs I ever bought. And then um. And then that's what I just listened to, like, before 10. And then, like, when I was, like, in fifth or sixth grade, I really got into the White Stripes and Incubus. I really loved Incubus and the White... I fucking love the White Stripes to this day. I don't and know then, uh, about them. I've heard a lot about Incubus and all that. My first album, though, that I ever bought, sidebar notes about you, um, uh-huh. was... Uh, what was it? Oh, it was um, it was Outcast. It was Speaker Box. A Speaker Box level up. Yeah, so it was that first, that was my first album that I've 
ever purchased on my own. I had this little gift card. I was like about like 10 or something. So you definitely beat me to like be buying your own CD at one point. But I had like this little yeah. this little this little gift card and I used it all the way up to I don't even know like I remember listening to it at home a little bit like through my sisters but their music mm-hmm. like sparked something in me and I was like okay I need to go buy their album but but it's I think it's crazy how music literally shapes a lot of you know our our upbringing and who we are and who we've become like you mentioned most of your story is about music and I know you're big into music because you play the guitar the electric guitar Mm -hmm. the guitar right or the bass guitar okay for sure so guitar guitar yeah so I so I definitely feel that but yeah your experience is definitely different than mine I mean I was you know a little bit outside of the stereotype too but most of my upbringing was around Latino people so we both definitely had the influences. Our Latino influences were, were a little bit, you know, off, I guess you could say. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because um, when, I, in, when I started middle school, I went to this middle school that def- had a higher um, Latino population than my previous schools. So, um, but I was in honors classes, but they separated the honors classes in two. They said it was, it was like the regular honors class and then the hood honors class. And I got put in the hood one, I guess. <laughs> How do you, whatever. How's there like, what's the classification like behind these? Um, I don't know. I don't know why they separated us by that, but the school and like it, my middle school in hindsight, I don't think it was direct or indirect, but a lot of the classes were kind of, um, at least once you got to the honors program, which was called student a school for advanced studies, so SAS, and then Magnet, which Magnet is a system uh, used by LESD to bus kids in from uh, poor neighborhoods to schools in more affluent neighborhoods. Right. And they also specialize in programs too. Not it's not just for um to bus in kids, but uh, even the Magnet program was pretty segregated as well. So Magnet is a way of like desegregating affluent neighborhoods and schools like that is that what you're telling me yeah so so yeah that was originally developed in uh the 70s and stuff to desegregate uh neighborhoods in a sense but even even um even now in 2006 to 2009 when i left um the magnet program and well the honors program ended up being split like over time you you would have classes with people you didn't have class with before that were still in the program but uh and the same thing for the magnet, but in that first sixth grade year, you were uh, you were more likely to be put in people who look like you. And for me, um, when I started sixth grade, I had long curly hair, I had the little wispy mustache, and I was pretty chubby. <laughs> and my last name ended in EZ, so that's the class they put me in. Dang, dude, that's intense. I've never heard about that before. But yeah, and that was that. Honestly, that was the first time ever in my life. It was that sixth grade year where um i really started to think about identity because i had people who were who were guatemalan my homies who were guatemalan and uh uh, salvadoran they would be like oh you're not mexican enough and i'm like what (laughs) you're like you're not mexican either (laughs) yeah but i mean i didn't know that at the time you know i the concept of the latino then the overarching latino didn't um occur to me yet because i was still calling the mexican for because I just didn't know because I was what eleven years old, right? But um, but yeah, and I really had an identity crisis that year. 
Like I remember, I, I remember going to my grandma. Like in order to be more Mexican, I try to fit in the stereotype. I asked her because she would cut my hair. I'd ask her, like buzz my head, like give me give me like a oh, two snap. or a one. And I went from like my long curly hair, and she just did it. I do it every, and then it'd get long. I'd spike it up like a cholo or some cholos would do. Does <laughs> it again? It was a process. I used to sag my pants too. I will say the only good that came out of that time was that my my music taste dude oh 2006 dude all the fucking rap bangers that's when they all came out you know lean with it rock with it <laughs> uh, yeah, like drop it like it's hot all those uh uh, uh jibs uh do your chain hang low oh, Does, wow, all that shit dude, dude it was all that whole era. i fucking love all that music dude i love it dude. it's just there's just something about it that's just it so beautiful back, you know it takes you back to like a time where you had like no stress you had you know, yeah, dude. going to school maybe on a school bus or whatever and you just were chilling you know like dancing with your friends hitting up the like middle school dances yo we used to have some crazy middle school dances i remember like vividly how crazy those things were they weren't like crazy because people would go in there drunk like we we're little kids you know but there was exactly. it was they would be they would call the J Wade dances and if anybody that was, grew up with me in middle school listen for the context huh it was crazy for the context yes like there was like free dancing grinding and all that and we're little kids you know and then the that's a part, shit, you know what happened you're, you're like oh my god uh uh page grinded on freaking david or some oh. shit like that like whatever <laughs> page <laughs> but really i actually did know a girl named page in middle school i did too she, she was one of the homies she wasn't that cute back she then. was now she's like you know little flower bomb just blossomed oh shit i see you i see you. <laughs> but um but what's it called what was i saying it was crazy because it was like they would have the parental um, chaperones freaking chaperoning this little like dance where these little freak nasty kids is getting down you know with each other and the parents were just watching you know supervising there was lap dances in the corner and all that and then there was like the this table and had like cookies and gum and like waters and stuff i was like that is like a freaking that's a mess right there like looking back at it i'm like what the heck crazy but so you said you were like looking into your identity and you were like trying to figure things out and all that. Um, what um, what does it mean to you to to have like more privilege than somebody else? Because I mean, if anybody knows Jake, he is light skinned compared to some other Latinos. He's lighter than me. And like, what does that mean to you? Like understanding your privilege as a lighter skinned Latino? Because there's light skinned Latinos, there's dark skins, there's caramels, you know, in betweens. Uh, and and then there's hella dark Latinos too. So we have every the whole country. spectrum, every like country. I said before. What does that mean? Um, to I mean to understand it, it's very critical because unfortunately we do live in a society that the the less melanin you, you have, the more opportunities you can have. Given that for many of us who do live in the United States, we just naturally just living here, we have a lot of more opportunities than others you know, worldwide, but in the context of the United States, I have more opportunities than a lot of people. Just simple as that. I'm a fair complexion. I college educated. I, um, I, I guess I'm considered in a higher tax bracket than some, or my parents are rather. Um, I have a lot of privilege. I just, just simple as that. You're not you know, I, I've gone, I've gone, right 
Hello? What were you saying? I said you're not going through the whole DACA struggle right now and all that. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm not going through that, dude. I was born here. I was born in Panorama City, um, which is a neighborhood over here that's very, it's a very entertaining neighborhood. I mean, you know, my parents, they went through the struggle and I didn't. And, you know, I have a lot of privilege and I'm very blessed. And, you know, I realized that, you know, I have a lot of my complaints are, um, a lot of my complaints, they didn't have to complain about, you know, I'm over here complaining that sometimes at my, at my, uh, at my job, I, f- I feel like it's a little slow. Like, they didn't have that complaint. My dad used to he used to wake up at 4 in the morning, go work at Frito-Lay full-time, and then he he was busting his ass at JC, and then, then he went to Dominguez. He was working full-time and going to school full-time, and, he's, and he was an immigrant. He migrated here. He was going hard. And my mom, too. It took my mom 20 years to get her bachelor's, but she fucking did it, dude. Yeah, I'm both, so, for sure. I def I definitely have privilege economically, uh, because of the color of my skin, because of my education. You know, I've I mean, do I have it perfect? No, dude. I have I've endured a lot of mental health struggles. Of course. Um, a lot of struggles with people, um, you know, friends and relationship wise and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know. I have a lot of privilege, and I need I need to use it for good. Right. I need to use it to help others. That's why when I'm going to politics, and I got my degree in political science, and want to get my master's, or I'm gonna get my master's in public admin, so I can learn the processes of governance and lawmaking and stuff like that, so I can help other people. Yeah, I just grew up, you know. What was that? And I and huh? What was that? Um, I grew up in this. Uh, how do I put it? I grew up in this very uh, weird dynamic where, and the, and a lot of my personality comes from this upbringing. When I was a kid, um, from I would probably say, I mean, from birth to uh, maybe around ten or eleven, around or like eleven or twelve rather. When I started middle school, I was very I was a huge mama's boy. I was always going to my mom, you know, and stuff like that because uh, my dad would work a lot, and that's. It's not a bad thing because he want he want he was being the breadwinner for the family and then once I started to you know go through puberty and stuff like that it was around the time of the economic um, downturn or the start of the uh, recession and all of a sudden my dad was jobless but and him and him and I started to spend a lot more time so I have this really weird words my childhood was. I was raised more by my mom, I guess. And then during my teenage years and adulthood, it's been my dad. And this balance has allowed me to have that edge and the whole macho thing going on, as well as to be very empathetic and sympathetic to people and to still have a heart and be able to uh, challenge the concept of machismo. You know, I fucking, I fucking hate machismo. I hate the whole uh, traditional, like, oh, men got to be tough all the time. Well, everybody should be tough all the time. They should, everybody, you know, life's fucking hard, but you just got to be harder. But at the same time, when, you know, when you are going through those episodes of um, of you're feeling sad or depressed, you got to embrace it. You got to embrace it because when you embrace it, you it helps you go through it. Like if you're sad, just say you're sad and you're not feeling it. You just want to be left alone or you just want to do this and that. It's okay. 
Dude, I dig it. But, I was actually uh, listening to a podcast earlier today. I'm big on podcasts, as you already know, um, about yeah. mental health. And it's it's intense, you know? Like, everybody has, you know, something to do with mental health. Like, no matter what age you are, either your mental health mm-hmm. is good or your mental health is bad or it's, like, average or whatever or fluctuating. And it's definitely a, a big thing. Like, you can definitely have depression down the line some in some cases you can have different kinds of things going on with with yourself and it's sometimes it's it's you know the backlash that you get you know in your upbringing for whoever might be or whatever the case might be for you but it's you know people go through different things and we need to learn how to take care of ourselves and we need to learn how to be open about it and about your your machismo thing that you were just talking about I'm with you on that. Mm. I didn't grow up with a father in my family, um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because now I know who the the man that I don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? So that's like a blessing in disguise in a sense. And I know who I want to be when I, you know, when I one day have my own family. But I'm all about breaking down the borders, the the barriers and the borders of of machismo and all that, because I'm not with that. That's not really who I am as a person. And... The fact that that you brought that up is dope because one day on my Snapchat, I was going off. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but I was talking about hypermasculinity and how that's such a a big thing. Like nowadays, like why do men have to feel like they have to defend their masculinity so much? Like, why do you have to feel like I can't do such and such thing because God forbid, yeah. like so and so sees me and they're going to notice something about me that's different than them. Like who who the hell cares, you know? I was talking about it on my Snapchat. I was like, okay, I've definitely been there before where where my mom is like, yo, she carries a heavy purse. She has the world in there for real. Like her purse is is mad heavy. She need to smack somebody with it. She'll probably knock them out. Anyway, that that? concuss them on the spot. For sure. Yes. It's a weapon. And so... I like sometimes like in my teenage years, I would have to carry it because you'd be like, yo, carry this for me while we're shopping because it's heavy or whatever. I don't know. Uh, And so I would. And I like slowly learned to be more comfortable with that. And I like now I'm just like, I don't care who asked me to carry their person. I was talking to one of our one of our own fraternity brothers. He actually he's a gay man and he carries um, he carries a purse with him here and there. And I was talking to him about it. And he said that. he said that he was hanging out with one of his friends and he he didn't care that he had a purse with him. Whereas he's been with other friends of his that are like, oh, can you leave your purse in the car while they go out and do stuff? And I'm like, why do you care if you're hanging out with a man that's carrying a purse? Like, that's not you. And you shouldn't care about what people think about you in that sense, because you're just being an inclusive all around person that's hanging out with somebody who identifies as something different than you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dude. Yeah, so I don't know. That's and something that's what's that? Then that's something that goes back into the machismo too, because you know a lot of people think, oh, men don't do this, men do don't do that. And a lot of women kind of, um, not to offer a woman's perspective because I'm not a woman, but it's oh. just something I've seen and observed, is that a lot a lot of women can perpetrate uh, machismo as well. Oh, but um, especially Latinos, like we just grew up with that in our head, you know. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, men shouldn't do this, men shouldn't do that. For sure. And to be quite honest, people want people to li- um, 
it's kind of irony because you know everybody has a right to do what they want. So you know, if I if I saw a dude carrying a press, I, for me personally, I'd be like, "Who oh, gives a shit? Is he cool with it? He wants it, so yeah, like that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He wants to carry. He's gonna carry a purse, but like, there's some people who are like, "Oh, you know, people should be free to do what they want," but then they see a dude carrying a purse, they're like, "Why is that dude carrying a purse and stuff like that?" Like, dude, you need to pick a side. You can't, or you can't, or not pick a side. You need to. Like, do you want people to have the freedom to do what they want, or do you want to dictate what they do and judge them when they do do it? So, really, the 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 judgment that goes on, like in other people's head, that people are scared of. And I was also talking about oh. that one day on my Snapchat. Yo, this is plot twist for real, for real. Like, we I didn't even know we we're gonna be talking about this, but um, I was um, on my Snapchat. I was like, I was like, why do guys like? It's really common for for women to be able to openly say like, "Oh, damn, she's hot," you know, like she's cute, she's fine, she's this, this, and that. Guys, like we can say that another man is ugly, like that's like nothing, you know. Like, oh, why is she hanging out with with him, or why is why is that her boyfriend? Like he's hella ugly, and I'm hella better looking. Womp womp womp, you know. But the moment that a girl is like, you know, like one of your homegirls is asking you. Yo, what do you think about, you know, fulano de tal over there is, and then you're like, she thinks that he's, he's fine or whatever. And she's like, what do you think? The freaking, the, the door to, you know, that conversation is shut. Like the guy's like, I don't know. I'm a guy. I can't talk to, talk to you about that. No, like, you know, somebody's yeah. ugly, like freaking Lil Wayne. He's hella ugly. You know, in my yeah, opinion, to- I have a homegirl <laughs> that was in love with him in middle, in high school, whatever. I don't know what she saw in him, but and then we see somebody else like there's like a lot of good looking male artists out there like freak, who's hot right now I don't freaking know um but you know you and I we're both good looking guys you know there's a lot of good looking people out there and it's just that thing that goes back to like men are so scared to share what they really think even though that's not what they identify as yeah dude like for me personally, like I know for damn sure, I am not attracted to dudes. Like I'm, I'm just not. Like this is not who I am. But if a dude is a handsome male, I will admit it. Of course. Yeah. Like it's not hard. Like it's like um. Like put it this way, a lot of women that my friends find attractive, I don't find attractive. But I will admit if she's pretty or not. Like I can be like, okay, I see why. Uh, why someone would be attracted to her? She has such and such features. She looks like that, but she is not my cup of tea. Sure. I mean, I bring it back to shopping. You know, everybody's attracted to their own type of t-shirt, type of pants, type of hat, type of whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And you know, everybody knows. You know, in like everybody knows what's an ugly shirt to them, and everybody knows what's like a like a good looking shirt for them. So that's what I'd take it back to. Like, if you could do the basics, you, you know, there's just something behind, there's a wall that needs to be broken down. And I can't really like say all men need to change, you know, right off the bat like that. But I'm just saying like, it takes a lot for people to change and I can't blame them because sometimes that's really how they grew up and they, they need to break out of something that that's been instilled in them for 20, 25, 30, I don't know how many years, you know? And it's, it's sad yeah. that, you know, there's a, there, there, there has been a wall that's grown up there that has been there since they're growing up, but it's that, um, you know, 
it's 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 it's, it's a lot. But um, but anyway, I don't have anything yeah, I, else to say about that. No, I mean just to kind of add on a little. Um, yeah, I can definitely say that a lot of walls get built. I know for me, um, you know, coming from that private school, it was a religious uh, Christian school. And so um, there was a lot of homophobia. There's a lot of homophobia over there. And like I said, you know, I am a straight male. But, you know, I'll ride or die for my gay brothers, you know? Dude, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, the solidarity always needs to be there. Yeah, there. I mean, there are brothers. So, you know, but, you know, in high school, like for me personally, like I never would have considered myself and even in hindsight i wouldn't consider myself homophobic but just growing up i never encountered anybody in the lgbtqia community that i knew of like personally i didn't know anybody personally until maybe high school but even then i didn't meet them until i was like 15 16 years old and even then they weren't knowingly they weren't out out but it was just like oh kind of like you have a feeling and then when it was when they were out it was confirmed so but even then so like the issue of gay marriage just when it first when it first popped up when i was like 12 or 13 because uh the church that my my private school had been associated to even though i wasn't going to school i was still going to the church right it's a very popular church in la by the way um for anybody from la who who or in the san fernando valley who listens to this you probably know it it's a big white church that's all you gotta know what's it called and um, what's the name uh shepherd of the hills oh i've seen that one that dang that thing's hella huge it's a mega church yeah it's a very big i remember it was literally just like two buildings when when my family had started going there when i was five or six um it was literally just two buildings it was just just like a little a a couple side rooms and like the main church and like a couple bungalows and now dude it's that main campus right there in Porter ranch and they got a bunch but anyways on point um, so when the gay marriage thing came up in the 2008 election, it was a really big deal. And um, they were like, um, they were anti-gay marriage. Right. Because um, the sanctity of marriage and stuff like that. And for me, you know, my concept of marriage and, you know, not to get into a lot of people's religious beliefs and stuff like that. You know, it, was, um, it is between a man and a woman. For many, it's between a man and a woman in society. That's what we're taught. But... By that same token, you know, to get married in the church, you're saying to God, you're never going to divorce this person. You're going to ride or die with him, literally. But a lot of people who are, um, who identify as Christian get divorced multiple times. Multiple, multiple times. So it's just very hard for me to take seriously people who want to talk, who want to use the sanctity of marriage and say, oh, you can't have, you know, man and man or woman a woman or transgender transgender get married when they're over here with multiple ex partners it just yeah it's like where where do people actually draw their own line you know like where do they yeah, like saying that they're doing you know the holiest of holy things you know and then they're over here talking down on somebody that actually is trying to make something work between another individual you know yeah, if if like, and let's not even talk about that. Let's talk. We can talk about all the arranged marriages that can that still happen, still often can happen, even in the United States, or you know, marriages out of, marriages for money, marriages for protection, or whatever, marriages that are not out of love. And I would rather uh, a gay couple get married 
out of pure love, like unconditional, purest love, love, you know, agape, the, the kind of love that Jesus talks about in the Bible. And um, I'd rather for that than a, and then a straight couple or a straight man, a straight woman just get divorced. Simple as that. And this is coming from a man who identifies as Christian. So man. that's just my, that's just my two cents. But um, back to my original topic. Sorry for going no, off. No, no, uh, sure. That's what this podcast is here for. <laughs> Plot twist. Plot twist. What were we going to say? Plot twist. Oh, um, but yeah, you know, in middle school and high school, you know, I used to say, I used to say homophobic slurs a lot. I used to make dyke jokes and I used to call, um, my teammates uh faggots and stuff like that like a lot and because that was what ignorant middle schoolers and high school high schoolers would do simple as that and um over time i just realized that that was wrong it's just wrong and you know i do still have friends who who still use those terms and i do my best to hold them accountable and stuff like that but like you said like i feel like over time a lot of you know societal things we get walls built to stuff like that and if your walls aren't broken down early enough they just stay like that forever unfortunately this is true because yeah and totally true and, and for me i feel like in some cases you know i didn't really have just because of the way my upbringing and being very empathetic and just trying to be a nice person, you know, growing up, I've always been kind of an asshole. <laughs> As some people, uh, I would get made fun of a lot, but I'd also be dishing a lot, dishing out a lot of insults as well. And, or many times people would portray me as an asshole just because, um, oftentimes in social settings, I like to be by myself and everybody else can be just out there doing their thing. But sometimes I just like to keep to myself. And usually when I do that, it's because I'm tired of being in that social setting. Ah, gotcha. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, just over time, I just realized like in growing up and, you know, meeting new people and stuff like that, I just realized, you know, like, you know what, I'm just not going to use this shit anymore. It's like the N word. And yeah. this is another topic where non, if if you're not black, just don't use it. Course, Simple yeah. as that. I don't care if you, I don't I don't care if you're Latino from the hood. Don't use it. Exactly. That that's kind of how I feel too. And that's how I I don't, I don't that comes up on this podcast. Like, you're not black. Please don't use that word. Like you you have, there's no reason for you to even use it. Yeah, like I don't care if you I don't care if your black friends say you can use it. Don't use it. Yeah, like I said in I don't episode care. two, um, this this white kid basically got fired from the job that we were both working at because he used that word and somebody escalated it to the next level, you know? Yeah, dude. You just you just don't oh my god, that speaking of, on that subject, a I saw recently, I don't know if I think it was Twitter, was um there was this DJ and um he was he I think he was at a festival or some party and there was a lot of white people there. And so it was a way to fuck. And I don't know if the DJ was uh, Latino or he was black, but he he was a person of color. And just to fuck with the white people, anytime a rap song was coming and the N word was about to come up, he would stop the music right on the dot when it's in the N word. Oh. And he would uh, he would see whether or not the white people were saying it. <laughs> and so he stopped it. He stopped it. Uh huh. They would say it right, like like they. Yeah, they said it like. Every single one did that he saw. What the heck? 
Yeah. And then and then and then they all caught themselves and they're like and then he started playing the music again. And so he was like, Okay, let me see if they let me see if they caught on. And he does it and they did it again, dude. I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like I have nothing against, you know, white people at large, you know, but it's like those little ignorant moments that make me question like what is going on and if you don't correct them now they're or at the moment they're just gonna keep doing it you know yeah i mean given it'd be kind of fucked up for me to say like no brett from apple cherry pie don't say that word <laughs> apple cherry pie wow <laughs> but uh just if you're not black don't say it and if and if the people who are like well black people shouldn't say it either well it's not your issue and it's not your place to be commenting so just shut the fuck up yeah and it's it's not them you know they can't be dictating who uses what words and who uses who, who can't use that word because they're not the ones that are getting, you know, the backlash from in, in our history books for that word, you know? They're not the ones that have been, you know, killed and yelled at by that word, you know? Anyway. Yeah. We'll t- and it, it's, a ling- it's a linguistics thing. And I, I also saw a very interesting Twitter thread about this from a linguist, someone who had studied language and stuff like that, how it is okay for black people to use it. Because they seized the word that was negative towards them, and they just made it their own as just as a as a as a, as a word for them to use. Right. Same as same and, as uh, the word Chicano. Like um, that word used to be a negative connotation to Mexican Americans, and it was flipped around, yeah. and it you know became something to empower ourselves and to unify us in that sense. But we, yeah, and huh? so just. Just the original thing is just, you know, if you're not white or I mean, not white, if you're not black and you are white or Latino or Asian or whatever, you shouldn't be saying it because your ancestor was the one using it to call, was to dehumanize black people. Of course. Simple as that. You know, if, if Brett from Cherry Apple Pie wants to use the word, then maybe he should tell, maybe, then... Maybe he should go back in time and tell his slave-owning ancestor to not use it, oh. to not call his that. I mean, just long story short, just don't use it if you're not black. For sure. No matter what. So we're going to take a quick little break real quick. We'll be right back. Um, and, yeah, stay with us. This is Plot Twist. All right, guys, we're back with Plot Twist. Um Thank you for being with us. So something that um, I was reading and, and um, we're going to touch on just a little bit is uh, homelessness in college. Like that's a really big thing lately um, that I've been reading about. And it's crazy because, well, this is a study that was done by L.A. Times um, in the CSU, the California State University System. And also I was further reading on this and it was about the community colleges so community colleges have one in five students that are homeless and the csu system california state university system has one in ten so ten percent is that ten percent yeah ten percent of college community or sorry csu students are homeless um you and i both attended csu schools um at one point and i think that's nuts to know that one in 10 of our colleagues was without a home 
that doesn't necessarily mean that they're sleeping on the streets. That just means that they don't have a place to call home. They don't have a legit house. And I think that's just unacceptable, you know? I mean, I understand that California is a super expensive place to live, you know? Especially Los Angeles, especially San Francisco. But I just don't think that's acceptable of, of like, a, a big institution like that. 23 campuses across California, and there's nothing that's you know, being done to fix the issue. I mean, it's complex because there's a lot of factors into why, but I definitely think it's an issue that needs to be addressed because um, I think it kind of, it can go hand in hand with rising tuition costs because, you know, if you're working all the time and or it go well. It, go, it it's tied into because of performance. Because if you don't have a steady place to stay and you know feel comfortable at to be able to you know go study and wake up every single day and then go to school and perform at your best, that's going to affect your grades. And you're there to graduate. You go to school to graduate and get a degree and to go in a field you want to go into. But if you don't have a place to go to, like I said, it affects your performance and you might eventually drop out. And that's what does happen to some of these homeless students. Yeah, so it says here, nearly half of the youth of the LA Community College students surveyed reported struggling with high housing costs. Of 19% who said they were recently homeless, 8% were being thrown out of their homes, 4% had been evicted, and 6% had stayed in an abandoned building, car, or other location not meant for housing, the survey said. I mean, that's... That's intense. I was watching this video on Facebook the other day, or a while back, actually. And it was about this man. He was um, this, you know, Latino man. He was gender neutral. He was queer. And he, he was just, he identified as so many different things. He had a lot of different things going on um, in his life. But he managed to graduate at the top of his class at UC Berkeley, regardless of everything that was going on. Like, I mean, being a, a a gender neutral, uh, identifying as a queer and a person of a uh, queer person and a person of color. That's that already has a lot of emotional, you know, baggage that can be held. On top of that, he's homeless. What's that? Yeah, plus being homeless. And then being at one of the top institutions in the country, you know, that is, you know, that is literally like they say in Spanish. Estás entre la espada y la pared. What does that mean? Is you're in between the wall and the sword. Like you're literally battling. Like there's like yeah, you're 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 struggling with a lot of things. And he still managed. Um, or this person is. He said he was gender neutral, so he can't consider himself as a he or a she. They would be they. What would be they? They. So they um, graduated. Thank you. They were graduating um, at the top of their class, regardless of all their setbacks. And I definitely think that these are things that people need to speak up a little bit more about. And although it can be embarrassing, I think it's something that that is a valid, you know, struggle in everyday um, life in California, at least. And it's and especially with the higher education in California, it's weird because a lot of these California's tuition rates are actually pretty low when juxtaposed to a lot of other states. Right. A lot of, you know, a lot of other states, I know, um, I think Texas might be one of them. A couple of the ones with the, the bigger, you know, flagship schools, right. um, their tuition rates are higher. 
than most of the or most of the Cal State system schools. But the cost of living is so low, so in many ways it balances out. The UCs are interesting situation because um, one, their tuition is stupid high, and their cost of living in that area is stupid high. Like the cost of living in Westwood, where UCLA is at. Good luck trying to get a, your own. Good luck trying to get your own room. Right. Where uh, Santa Barbara is at, are trapped over there. A lot of them they'll split three to a room. Um, Berkeley, I can only imagine how expensive oh, it is up in sure. up in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Davis, I mean, I it's a cow town, so maybe it's um, a little cheaper <laughs> for sure. But um, but it's just it's excessively expensive and. A lot of the schools, because of their focus is not on a lot of times students and separate argument and something maybe we'll revisit another day is a lot of universities are not pro-student or pro-faculty in my observation. And then definitely in my experience at San Diego State, a lot of schools are not pro-student or, or pro-faculty. Man, that's crazy. No, I was, I was but, reading um, something here. Um, it says... It says all the time she said um, while she was, you know, going hungry and all the time, blah, 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 keeps going. Says I cry at night and hope for better days. Like that's like that's literally something that that makes my heart weigh heavy. And then it, it goes on to say um, somebody else is quoting this man from the Los Angeles Community College trustee. He says, when you have people going hungry for three days straight, you have a really serious problem. And, and it's nuts because. A lot of the the people that that are going through this homelessness are people of color, because the lack of resources for us, the the lack of you know um, the socioeconomic background that we might have, you know, all of these things come into it into play. And when you're trying to make something better out of yourself and go to college, you don't have these resources. It's really upsetting. It's hard, and, and that's what's unfortunate. And that's like I said, you know, how are you supposed to reach your maximum potential if you don't have the tools to do so if you don't have a lot of the catalysts that allow you to do so like food sleep or good sleep not just sleep but good uh-huh. sleep i mean given it's very cool to, it's very cool to have a story of oh you know i did this and that and i came out of it but at the same time there's certain things that every person deserves not because they deserve it just for well no they do deserve it just for existing and to go hungry is unacceptable, especially in the first world, in the modern world. Going to university, you know, it makes no sense to me. It baffles me that that could be allowed to happen. Yeah. And that's why at SDSU, Associated Students, um, they did a, a food pantry for students who needed food. And I know of a few students who went and they got food. And I feel I feel super blessed that I never went hungry and um. In college, you know, I was able to, with the help of my parents, get a credit card, and I, my credit card was for gas and groceries. Simple as that. Yeah, man, blessings, bro. I remember one time yeah. I did struggle, and it was, you know, my I know my my mother would have helped me out, but it was like my own stubbornness and my own prideful side, and I didn't want to ask for help. But I literally had to go to the um, to the dollar store or the ninety nine cent store. It's like those big old 99 cents that you see all over L.A., especially in, in Carson and Compton area. They have those. 
And obviously, it's not the healthiest of food, but I was, like, literally buying canned beans, like, freaking dollar sausages and tortillas. And I was living off of that for, like, a week. Because I literally, you know, on-campus jobs don't pay you a lot. And, yeah, but but anyway, um, there's a lot that, that I've learned out of being in college. So moving forward, um, tell me, like, a little bit, like, regardless if it's a funny story or whatever it might be, like, things that college taught you that you didn't think you were going to learn. Like, let's just end on that for a second. Like, t- talk to me a little bit about that. Um. I could go the uh, the typical route of oh I grew up a lot and stuff like that, but um, college definitely, for one thing, taught me how to deal with anxiety and how to um, to not be prideful when I go through stuff like that because um, it's very hard for a lot of people to open up and be like yo like I'm not feeling good, but I realized in order for in order for me to reach the goals I want and to have the happiness I want uninterrupted or uninterrupted just pure just genuine feeling good and stuff like that I have to be open when I'm not 100% and as you know me and for people who do know me I like to move very fast I like to go 110% I'm very high energy but um the times I'm not it's very weird And you can ask you can ask a lot of people who were who who were close to me during the college years, the times I wasn't a hundred percent. You could easily tell when I'm off. So in order for me to fix that, I realized that I had to be open that okay, you know, I'm not feeling a hundred percent. I remember one time I'd gone to the health services at school and one of the, one of the doctors had told me like, Well, how are you feeling? I'm like, I just feel sad. And then, and that's why what I said earlier, embrace it, is because he's told me you just need to embrace it. That's the best way to do it. Is embrace it. And ever since then, anytime I've had episodes, you know, the postgraduate depression that I had um, a couple years ago, and I had really, really bad anxiety, and it's kind of come back recently. Um, I just embrace it. Like it's just a fact, and I can't really change it. I just gotta accept it, and from me accepting it, I can work on it and improve it and stuff like that. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's definitely a long struggle, but that's the beauty of it of overcoming it. Because once you do, it feels fucking good. Yeah, you succeeded at something. Exactly. What about um, you? what have I learned through college so far? Because I'm still going through it. Uh, Let's see. I think it's not to trust people as easily as you might want to. Because I used to be, like, super, like, oh, yo, like, we connect on this automatic friend. Like, no. That's not. uh, And, you know, at the same time, learning to trust people a lot. It goes both ways. Either I learned how to trust people a lot quicker and I learned how to not trust people. It's just kind of like how to read people a little bit. So um, I used to always leave like my room door open or whatever if I was in there. And I used to never lock my door because I was like, for what, you know? But sometimes some of my things would go missing. Some of my things would be used. And I don't mind sharing my stuff, you know? I'm a very sharing person. But when my stuff started going missing and all that, and I would never go into my roommate's room. Like, I had no reason to. You know, I had everything I needed. They had everything they needed, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I learned how to be um, more trusting in other senses because I, I caught good vibes from certain people. And to this day, I have, like, 
tight, tight connections with a lot of my friends from LA that I met out there. And, um, and yeah, I definitely learned how to be more vocal about things um, and more outspoken, a little too outspoken sometimes because they'll get me in trouble. But, um, but yeah, like I remember one time this one chick was, was at our apartment because she was friends with my roommate and she was just getting on my nerves, man. Like I just could not stand her and she was just saying X, Y, and Z type things. And I just told her up. I was like, yo, what the heck are you doing in my apartment? First off, like you're upset at something I'm doing. Like you don't even got to be here. So I just learned how to be like, up front and to the point kind of thing. Kind of like that East Coast vibe, like where you just say whatever's on your mind and you just go for it, you know? I just kind of learned that because I was like, there's no BSing these type of things. I don't run around a bush or beat around the bush, as they say. I just try to go through it usually. So that's kind of what I learned in college. Um, And I learned how to take care of drunk people because there's a lot of that too. Because I lived on the dorms. There's a lot of folks that, you know, would turn up a little too much. So that's a little bit about what I learned. Yeah, I feel I definitely relate to that. I know um when we had the uh the beta trap as we called it, when uh me and my LB, uh Leo and this random boxer guy, Abraham, shout out to Abraham, um, lived together, we called it the beta <laughs> trap. Um we we would definitely have stuff stolen. I remember um Within the own brotherhood you would have stuff stolen? Oh, not within the own brotherhood, no, um but when we'd have parties and stuff, people would steal our oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, which brother has the sticky fingers? Because I'm trying to mess with him. Um, well, no, no, no. I've, ne- I've never heard a story of brothers stealing stuff from other brothers. But I know, um, I know, fuck. Um, I had a tiki. I had an anchor tiki. Someone stole it. It had my info. It had Despiadado. It had my number 33 on the oh, one on each, or one three on each horn. And um, someone stole it. For, and I had to hang it up in my room. That's the oh, thing. Snap. Like, so somebody went up into your room and snatched it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that befuddled me, like brothers, like if they see that something that's not theirs, like they're not gonna wear it. They would have. There would be no purpose from them to wear it. So I think some some fucking GDI took it when when uh, when we had a party and. I never caught them. Given most of my letters and stuff like that were like in my closet that we had, and I was always closed during parties. But because just of the flow of the apartment and stuff like that, um, it th- my my room, mine and Leo's room was usually open. I know we had a couple clothing items that had gotten stolen as well. I think I got a shirt, a stubble shirt stolen from me once too. Yeah, one of my roommates wore one of my line brothers sweaters one time and posted up a picture on Facebook with it. That was a mess. But yeah, dude, that's crazy. Like. People that steal, for people who, who don't know what Greek life is all about, especially in a multicultural or Latino-based organization, um, if you steal somebody's letters, somebody's, you know, anything that has their letters to do with it, and I actually have my, my, um, my beta sweater with me right now, if you steal that, that's, or wear it, even touch it, touch the letters like that's intense like that's mad disrespect you know and um you know i was gonna say you know like during recruitment when we got when we got the big letters out there and someone accidentally touches it it's oh, yeah. cool and i just you know i would like yeah, I'd be like you know what like you know just just for future reference just don't touch our letters because you're not a brother but i mean you know first time you know it's cool second time once you know then after that it's disrespectful but um, as they say, but it, yeah, it's it, like once you do that, you know, it's it, it's a done deal. Like once you already know, you're already well aware of what you can and cannot do. 
you don't cross that line. And to know that somebody went out of their way to steal your letters, your tiki that was meant for you and had your, your information on it. Not, not disrespectful. Not disrespectful. But yeah, dude. Hey, um, I want to thank you, though, for being on, on Plot Twist with me. This is episode three. Um, yeah, man. Uh, it, it was real. We will be uh, coming up with episode four. Oh, this is episode three. I'm a number three. So this is a very, you know, special episode for me. Thank you, though, for being with me, My uh, um, bro. I My appreciate it. You're what? My chapter number is 33, so... Oh, double three. That's what's up. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll be up with episode... Um, was, what's up? I was going to say, next time we should talk about a public perception of Greek life. That would be an interesting topic. I definitely have to have you back, though. It, it was real, dude. It was real. We might have to, you know, collaborate with some other brothers and, you know, sync us up. Because you're, you're in L.A., I'm in Utah, so this is all, like, over, um, you know over the web and we're, we're recording that way making it possible but dude definitely for sure that's forthcoming you guys it'll be here soon but thank you though for real for real and thank you everyone for following don't forget to tell y'all friends to tune in a plot twist on soundcloud um should be up on apple podcast soon i kind of have to do my work on that but thanks though and um yeah for sure man this is plot twist see you next time